Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that just destroyed the world's most dangerous sandwich. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the bonkers of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. (laughs) So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, Lonnie, before I get into the many times that Marvel America has dabbled in fascism with various attempts to register superpowered people, let's take a closer look at the episodes we're going to be talking about today. Right. As a quick refresher for anyone out there who maybe hasn't recently seen the episodes we're talking about, today we are doing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1, Episodes 5 through 7, Girl in the Flower Dress, and The Hub. Episode 5 is Girl in the Flower Dress, which aired on October 22nd, 2013, and introduces Reyna, a mysterious woman who plucks a powered person off the magical streets of Hong Kong and promptly ruins his life. Yes, that's what we can always count on Reyna to do. Episode 6 is Fzzt and aired on November 5th, 2013. Simmons gets infected with an alien virus that kills its host by sending out a shockwave, and she jumps out of the bus while in flight to save the rest of the team. Episode 7 is The Hub and aired on November 12th, 2013. Warden Fitz are sent on a dangerous mission in Russia that will very likely get them both killed. Yes. And after that, we've got the events of Thor, the Dark World. And that is what we're going to be talking about next time. So, Joshua, now that we've got all that set, give me that comic book history. All right. Buckle up because it's (laughs) not super exciting. Okay. I mean, there have been flying cars. There have been circuses of crime. Mm -hmm. But this time we're going to talk about a couple of kind of boring S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Mm -hmm. And then we'll discuss genre convention. Okay. So the two agents that get seriously featured in this set of episodes, other than Mm -hmm. our main cast, of course. Right. Are Victoria Hand Mm -hmm. and Jasper Sitwell. Now, Victoria Hand first appeared in the Invincible Iron Man number eight, December 2008. That's right. Somebody who wasn't introduced in the mid 60s. <laughs> right. She's fairly recent then. V- yes, very recent mm-hmm. and ties very specifically into a story arc that you and I have discussed at least briefly. Okay. So you may recall that I mentioned the Green Goblin or, yes. you know, his more or less secret identity, Norman Osborne, took over mm-hmm. S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. Disbanded it, renamed it Hammer, all in the name of just being a douche. Right. <laughs> When he did this, Victoria Hand was named his deputy director. Okay, so she's deputy douche. She, <laughs> You are so right. Because the thing that most recommended her for this job, as far as Osborne was concerned, mm-hmm. is that she had sent a letter to Fury explaining that he was doing the war on terror wrong. Okay. Now, look, he probably was. <laughs> but Osborne definitely thought he was. So being vocally anti-Fury in S.H.I.E.L.D. means you're trustworthy enough to second-in-command for Hammer. Okay. Mm -hmm. She later worked for Steve Rogers when he became director of S.H.I.E.L.D. She was the liaison to Luke Cage's New Avengers. Mm -hmm. And there were apparently some, like, shenanigans and double and triple crosses going on with remnants of Hammer, but... Nobody cared then, and I care less now, because it was remnants of Hammer. Look, we have Hydra. We have Leviathan. We don't need you also, Rans. Right. 
Okay, so in in the comic books, though, did she have the pink strips in her hair? Is that what inspired that in this? She did. And as near as I could tell, that was the entirety of her personality. Right, right. Because I have a pink stripe in my hair, and my hair is the same color as hers. It's that dark brown. And I saw that, and I was like, well, wait a minute. That's my thing. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently that was not an original idea. (laughs) I think sometimes it might be more kind of magenta. Mm Mm-hmm. In the, I don't know. It's very, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, as far as the the MCU version of her is concerned, you could be in worse company. She's yeah. mm-hmm. kind of, you know, hard ass and cold, but uh, mm-hmm. seems like a very competent shield agent. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, our other named agent is Jasper Sitwell. Mm-hmm. I really don't have a lot to say about him. It's just worth mentioning that I am sometimes mystified by their choices of names to drop in the MCU. Right. I mean, if you need a shield agent and you don't want to take 10 seconds to go to like a baby name directory, (laughs) there are some to choose from. Mm -hmm. But so Jasper Sitwell first appeared in Strange Tales number 144, May 1966. So here Mm -hmm. we are back to form. Right. <laughs> His job in the comics is basically to perpetually be fresh-faced and wet behind the ears. Oh, okay. Now, as far as I can tell, his job in the MCU is to be smarmy and awful. Yes. <laughs> Both versions are succeeding in their jobs admirably. I'm fine sure. with it. Sure. But yeah, that's really that's really it, which mm-hmm. is fine because right. I think that you have mentioned you feel like Agents of Shield kind of just made its own sandbox to play in. Yeah, I think it references, you know, the main like MCU references the comics. And I think that there will be things from time to time that dip into that comic history. I mean, I'm sure that there are, you know, we had the Gravitonian and we had that whole thing and that kind of like talked back to it. Um, But in general, I think it's mostly building its own mythology for the most part. And so every now and again, I think you'll get these things sort of in the spirit of of an Easter egg. Yeah. and there are definitely some things coming that that dig deeper into comic book stuff. So yes, I mean, I know definitely. that that we yeah. will do that. Um, but but overall, I feel like it's sort of building its own thing. Well, and Sitwell had showed up in some one shots or something. Yes. He's been a background mm-hmm. guy in He's a couple been around. of other things. Yeah, so. but he's sort of been like a, you know, just a guy that Colson orders around for the most part, you know. Seems legit. That's yeah. that's about the level he's operating at. Mm-hmm. And so I think them making their own sandbox is wise, mm-hmm. especially when it becomes clear that the people running the larger MCU don't care what they're doing on this show at all. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether they decided that on their own or got it decided for them, whatever, it's the right call. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. So I may have some struggles in this comic book history with (laughs) Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Mm -hmm. Like ongoing. But in this case, they gave me kind of an out because in The Girl in the Flower Dress, Mm -hmm. we are introduced to a registry of super people. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is a thread that has run through the Marvel Comics universe for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Um, It started kind of uh, early 80s with the Mutant Registration Act. Mm -hmm. Uh, Much more focused on the mutants as opposed to just super powered people at large. Okay. Now, is it it treated in the comics like it's... A bad thing to do. Sometimes. Uh Uh-huh. But it sure does keep coming up. 
Yeah. Um, so just a, just a real quick overview of the various ways that this has come up. Uh, mm-hmm. It did start with the mutants, which makes a certain amount of sense because they are always the stand in for various persecuted minorities. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that, that focus shifts somewhat. It's pretty obvious. Uh, it's a pretty obvious allegory for civil rights when oh, sure. the mm-hmm. X-Men comics first come out. But after that, they have stood in. They had a mutant-specific virus that was very HIV-influenced. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, they, yeah. th- mm-hmm. So having the government take a special interest in them makes a certain amount of sense. Mm-hmm. It does start to make less sense when it's always the Mutant Registration Act <laughs> yeah. and never has to do with, I don't know, you know, Spider-Man. Sure. Who's mm-hmm. not a mutant. Mm-hmm. Or the Hulk, who's not a mutant, you know. Yeah. So... This was expanded into the Superhuman Registration Act Mm -hmm. in 1989, 1990, during a big crossover event called Acts of Vengeance. Mm -hmm. Acts of Vengeance was mainly predicated on the idea that heroes fighting villains that they don't usually fight would be interesting. Okay. Uh It was sometimes. It's (laughs) honestly, it's pretty thin broth for a giant crossover. Yeah. Mm hmm. But I can understand how they came up with the idea and how it got out the door because much hay has been made by things like the Superman Revenge Squad, you know. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I can see the theoretical appeal. It didn't turn out that great, but it did lead to some discussions of the Superhuman Registration Act, the SHRA. Mm-hmm. It was most famously resurrected and represented during the Civil War story arc. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where Tony Stark tried with the help of S.H.I.E.L.D. to get all super people to register with the government. We will probably talk more about that when we get to the Civil War movie. Yeah. But the short version is if Captain America is on the other side of the fight, 99.9% of the time you're the villain. Examine your life choices, Tony Stark. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Captain America is absolutely the moral compass for everything. If you disagree with him, you're probably the bad guy. Right up until a certain Marvel writer decided that he needed to be a Nazi and to have been a Nazi since Jump Street. Yes, right. that's why there's a 0.1%. Yes, we don't talk about it. I just want you to know that that's why there's a 0.1%. Right. So I generally think most of the Civil War storyline in the comics to be pretty hacktastic. It's not. Mm-hmm. Great. And part of that is because we were lied to our faces about how it was going to be all ripped from the headlines and, you know, uh, that both sides would actually seem like they had a point. And that was never the case. Mm -hmm, Right. But aside from that, I feel like this is right on the edge of genre breaking. Mm -hmm. I don't actually recommend superhero universes dealing with this issue too closely. Mm -hmm. I would like your opinion on this as I elucidate. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like I said, with mutants, it makes a kind of sense. They're always that stand in for somebody oppressed or persecuted. Of course, the government comes after them. And this Mm -hmm. is why a lot of the times the X-Men books almost feel like they're separate universe within the Marvel universe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in the more traditional sort of less specific superhero stories, something like a registry asks that the reader compare genre convention with the real world a little too closely. Mm -hmm. Costumed vigilantism is an ultimate good in superhero stories. Right. (laughs) Is it in real life? I kind of don't think so. Right. (laughs) But your superhero universes are clearly not real life, right? And the concept is almost always, almost always undermined by the story itself, unless superpowered police officers are literally the point. 
Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there are some stories where that has been the whole point and okay. But if, again, with these broader, more generic, we're just trying to tell superhero stories, universes, mm-hmm. it undermines its own thesis. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost the end of everything good in The Incredibles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the DCU, the source of this kind of superhero persecution is McCarthyism and the House on american Activities Committee. <laughs> right. I mean, so the writing is pretty clearly on the wall, I think. And even in the Civil War storyline in the Marvel comics, despite the attempts of noted hack Mark Miller to make it seem like Tony had a point, he winds up hiring supervillains to be his hit squad and stuff. They were never trying to make that look like the right side to choose. Okay. I'm not going to say that there's absolutely no way to make that story interesting. Mm -hmm. But I am saying it is one hell of a tightrope. In terms of an ongoing superhero universe Mm -hmm. that is predicated on really the most basic assumptions of the genre. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really, really interesting thing for me, especially the way they present it here in these episodes. And that discussion is going to be really interesting. I'm going to do a quick production history, which again, like your comic history... Not going to be probably that extensive while we're talking about these TV shows and production history. Basically, they made a TV show. That's the production history. So, right. And so, still are. Right. I exactly. And they still are. They got renewed for season six, which is going to air after the second Infinity War. So it'll be out next summer. Uh, so it means I have to wait a year for, for this show to come back. And I'm not sure I'm OK with that. But but that's a whole other discussion, which we will <laughs> oh, get we'll to. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there eventually. (laughs) So Girl in the Flower Dress was directed by Jesse Bochco and written by Brent Fletcher. This is uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. maiden voyage for both writer and director, with this being the first of 10 episodes Bochco will direct for this series and the first of 12 that Fletcher will write. Zit was directed by Vincent Missiano and written by Paul Spazewski. This is another dual maiden voyage for each of these guys. Missiano will direct 11 episodes in total for the show so far. Spazewski will also also write 11. He was the producer for the show of the first four seasons. So uh, so he's going to be around for a while, which means I have to really work about pronouncing his name properly. The Hub was directed by Bobby Roth, who will return to direct four more episodes for the series. And this episode was written by writing team Rafe Judkins and Lauren LaFranc, who will write four more episodes together. And then LaFranc is going to go on to write two more episodes on her own. And a little bit of trivia about Rafe Judkins was also a contestant on Survivor. Season 11, Guatemala. (laughs) And and as I discovered while doing that research on him, his mother's name is Lonnie, spelled my way and everything. Wow. I know. uh, You don't find it that much is why. Yeah. When I see the name Lonnie out there. (laughs) I'm just now starting to get my speech to text trained. Yes. (laughs) Like that's how... That's how rare the spelling of your name is. It is. It is. In Hawaii, it's much more common, but like outside of Hawaii, and I'm not Hawaiian. I don't know why my mother chose it. I honestly have no idea. But uh, but anyway, his mother's name is Lonnie. So I was like, all right, very cool. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and start this discussion of these episodes. Um, and I want to kind of come back and and sort of start in this place with the the idea of this index. Right. Yes. Um, Because I think that is such an interesting thing. And here's the thing. Like, I don't think that as a storyline, the idea of an index or a registry is necessarily a bad thing. Um, It can be done right. I think there are definitely things that are interesting to talk about there. What concerns me is that we have our good guys. Right. I mean, Mm Colson is is the ultimate good guy. Like he is. 
he's the guy who runs he's the hero of this show you know and i mean we that's are all the theory colson right yeah i mean we're following colson we're with colson everybody there is loyal to colson i mean this is colson's show so when they have this moment right uh when they start discussing the index and sky has reservations the index it's a less shield keeps of people and objects with powers wait what how many are there are you saying there are more people not many well, enough to keep a list. A short list. Meant to protect them. Though in rare cases, S.H.I.E.L.D. has had to take action. Action against objects or people? Well, that's drastic with the side of creepy. All right, so we have this objection from Sky, And then we have this kind of very paternal thing from Coulson, which we're going to see a lot which is the the sort of benevolent dictator. You know, I am here yeah. to protect them. I'm here to protect them from themselves, this kind of thing. Like, um, and- Well, even in the next couple episodes, we're going to get more of that. Oh, no, that is, that is absolutely central to Coulson. So the thing is that when it's your good guys who are promoting these ideas, right? When it's your good guys, then, then that is, you know, an implicit stamp of approval saying this is the right thing. However, when Sky makes her argument, like I'm with her and I don't like Sky very much at this point. <laughs> yeah. At this point I am not a fan of Sky. As Sky gets better, guys, just for all of you out there, Sky gets a lot a lot better. It takes a little while, but she gets a lot better. But in this moment, I'm like we're we're putting our stamp of approval, you know, on this this idea of this registry. Because Coulson is protective, because he's looking at it as a protective thing. But the fact of the matter is that whenever you put people on a registry like this, it does have that element of McCarthyism. It can. A list like that can be used for nefarious means. And anybody who puts people on a list for whatever, I don't care what your reasons are. Um, you know, unless it's all the kids who signed up for soccer. It's just not okay. You know, <laughs> like you put people on a list, it's not okay. So I as much as I love, I love Coulson. I mean, I love Coulson. Like he's one of my, I have a real problem with the way we just kind of accept this as the right thing in the way it should be. And I'm wondering how it reads for you, especially because you have that, that background in the comics. I think that the idea of a registry like mm -hmm. this makes 75% more sense in the MCU than it does in the 616. Okay. I mean, because the MCU is much less predicated on those basic genre assumptions. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that happens when you start with like Tony Stark, who doesn't keep a secret identity in the movies and stuff like that. Then if we started with Spider-Man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like where the secret identity is very, very important and the mm -hmm. double life is very, very important. And, right. uh, you, you know, and the fighting muggers in garish costumes is is the thing you know mm -hmm. so for the mcu i think it makes much more sense but it does kind of like raise my hackles i'm right away going how much more of the genre that i love are you going to undermine for the purposes of your story yeah and this version of shield it also makes a lot of sense for them to keep a list of people with superpowers mm -hmm. so i get it but i'm also just like oh and as far as Sky, this is a good example of where I don't know if it's the writing or the acting or just that we hate her at this point, <laughs> but this is where she should be making her points better. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like she should be an actual opposite voice to Colson on this in a way that even if they shut her down, we are nodding along with her. That's how right. it should be. Right. Um, yeah. You know, uh, lists of people kept by the government because they are a special group of people. Right. Never turns out well. No. I mean, that's always a bad thing. And because it's always a bad thing, it feels weird to me that we sort of have this we have this moment where we're, we're, I think, you know, we're supposed to look at Sky like, oh, Sky, you and your idealism, you know, it's so <laughs> right. cute. But we, we, we should list, be on the side of her idealism. Right, right. And I mean, I am like, I'm on the side of her mm-hmm. idealism. Definitely. I mean, I think that, but it's not just idealism. It's just simply that anytime you put particular people on a list, like when somebody super powered does something you know, breaks a law, then you can deal with them. And I mean, I understand that there's certain things like, you know, you can't deal like a, maybe regular police or whatever can't deal with, the, sure. with a, you know, but but then you've got you've got good guys. Like if they want to join you, it would be one thing if they went out and they recruited these people and they were like, yeah. hey, become an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. We see that you've been doing this. But this idea that we're going to we're going to put you on a list and we're going to have our agents monitor you like a probation officer i mean the, like the relationship between khan and and um and chan ho yin was that that he checked up with him he kept him under you know like under observation and like chan ho yin hadn't done anything like he didn't break a law there's no reason why he should have to answer to kwan yes you know? so i found all of that to be um, to be really highly, highly questionable. And the fact that it is it is stamped with approval from our good guys is a bit alarming to me, you know, because we're not we're not playing it as though, well, it's very obvious Colson is wrong and we're gonna have him find yeah. out he's wrong and that's what this episode is gonna be about. It's just, oh, Sky, you and your idealism. It feels very much like that is the is the attitude that they're taking. And the fact is that like when you're shield, if a powered person does something bad, you have the resources to be able to handle it. Maybe the regular police don't, but shield can deal with people when they've done something bad or it can recruit them and say, Hey, we want you working on our side. Fine. But keeping a list, treating them like they've broken laws, giving them probation officers. That's not okay. Yeah. You're really, in a place where it's like, of course, they're going to rebel mm-hmm. or some percentage of them are going to rebel. You're mm-hmm. actively creating supervillains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that that's, you know, I mean, that's the thing that Chen Ho Yin was was um, kind of pushing back against. Right. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't let him do anything. They wouldn't let him show off his powers. They wouldn't let him show people. I just want to show people what I can do. But he was kept quiet by S.H.I.E.L.D. And S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't have the right to do that. This is more, I mean, you and I have talked about this, and I feel like it's going to keep coming up until we get to the Winter Soldier shift. Yes. Mm -hmm. But they keep bringing up these ways that S.H.I.E.L.D. is shady and maybe not an organization that we should (laughs) fully endorse. And they will never put down the fact that 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 is the case. You know, right. They're mm-hmm. going to let Winter Soldier do all the heavy lifting on that is what I'm afraid of. Yeah. And but I kind of need this textually. Like I need yeah. somebody else again, like Fitz and Simmons. I, I don't know. They just mm-hmm. seem like the most likely to look at it from a purely, um, I guess, lab- laboratory 
yeah. stance where it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, maybe if we put people under pressure, <laughs> right, <laughs> they'll decide to be super villains. Um, somebody in that ship should be like, yeah, that's not a big, that's not really a great idea. This isn't okay. Exactly. And I would expect that to be because right now, you know, Coulson has this team, right? This special team within Mm -hmm. S.H.I.E.L.D. that he is being treated, you know, specially through by by Fury. You know, Fury's given him this bus. He's given him control of this team. He's given him all this stuff that that it should be Coulson that is pushing back against this I'd idea. I'd like it to it be. Should yeah. be. Yeah, it should be Coulson that's rebelling against this idea and saying this is wrong, but instead they're defending it. So I found that to be highly questionable. We're definitely going to be addressing this more as we go through Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, no spoilers, but for right now, it does feel like like S.H.I.E.L.D. is the bad guys. And, you know, so we open up with this with this guy, you know, on the streets of Hong Kong doing these magic tricks and, of course, is, um, is picked up by the character of Reyna, uh, played by Ruth Nega, um, who is is brilliant, and you know, no big spoilers. We're going to be seeing more of her as we as we move through. At this point, I believe we, I don't, I don't know if we know her name in this. She's just the girl in the flower dress, I think, in this episode. I think until someone at the Centipede Institution calls her Reina. Yeah, yeah. So she um, is fantastic, by the way, and I'm yeah. super glad that yeah. she's going to be around for a while. She is, she a is great, perfect, scary person because of their connections and the things that they are endorsing and causing to happen, who is completely unassuming in her actual aspect. It's great. No, she's fantastic. And the acting is fantastic. Ruth Nega actually is an Irish actress. And I could never tell. I was actually surprised when I found out. Does she have um, a full bore Irish brogue? She's got a full Irish accent. This, oh this girl gosh. is Irish. This girl is Irish. And um, so it was really, it was funny because when I found out, I was like, wow. Because a lot of times when people have accents, you can kind of tell. Like um, Louis Ozawa Chang Chan, who plays uh, Chan Ho Yin um, at Slash Scorch. You know, they gave him a name. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, is actually American and grew up in Queens. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and yet his, I'm from his, Fresno, Ace. I'm from Fresno, Ace. Exactly. And <laughs> And his accent was so strong here that I was like, I thought it was like a genuine, you know, genuinely thick accent for the actor himself. And it's not. Um, and and so I thought that that was but like, because I don't I don't know Chinese accents, like I don't know at what point it's it's believable and at what point mm-hmm, it's caricature, mm-hmm. but it sounded good to me. My ears being what they are for that sort of thing, I have no idea. Um, but but he was he was born in Queens and also raised in Japan, and he's he's I think part Taiwanese as well. So he has a, a really global background. So I think that I trust him that it's good. I thought he was a great actor. I really thought he did a great job as Scorch. Yeah, I really believed his journey. Yeah, in this because he really starts in a place, yeah, goes to a different place, and winds up in a completely wholly other place and it's always and I somebody's every damn step puppet yeah exactly yeah. like you know i mean i actually i quite liked him and i thought he was a good argument for why the registry is a real bad idea Ex- yeah yes <laughs> you know? i mean again you wonder the people who made this show at the time that they were making i know it was 2013 and it's been a few more years and the idea yeah. of even more government surveillance is you know curdling like milk as we look at it mm-hmm 
But at the same time, it's like you guys made this guy a poster child for why a registry is a bad idea. Did nobody exactly. notice? Right. And it seems like that should be the explicit message of this episode. And yet we don't touch it. Like textually, no. we really don't touch it. So it is it is a weird question for me, although I actually do think that this is a, a pretty good episode, um, which also, of course, features uh, Sky's big betrayal of the team. You know, we've been we've been having a sense that she's not completely on the up and up, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. from the beginning when she was doing that mysterious messaging, which, of course, was with Douchebag McGee. Um, and uh, and so <laughs> this this episode's guest star, Douchebag McGee, guest star, Douchebag McGee, who is absolutely the world's biggest douchebag. And you He's look at him terrible. and you think, yeah, and you think like, you know, Sky, as much as I don't like Sky at this point, I'm just like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, that's kind of slumming it. This guy is such, you know. Um, and, and the thing that's funny is that this guy is actually making some arguments that I completely agree with, you know, when yeah. um, when there's that moment where he there's they've both been taken in. Right. You know, they're both they're both in the interrogation room in handcuffs. Right. And he says, so I guess due process isn't really shield protocol. They don't have time for it. Whoa, are you defending them? These people are denying our basic rights. This isn't about us. They're trying to save someone's life. Listen to yourself. That's what they always say to justify invading privacy, Sky. These people stand for everything we despise. Secrets, censorship. Enough with the manifesto, Mark. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm ratifying that. Yes. <laughs> that is a problem. Yes. So so he says this, and I am completely with him. Like, like intellectually, I'm completely with him. And she's saying they don't have time. But the thing is, is that rights are not administered based on whether they're convenient. Civil rights are civil rights. That's just it. Convenience does not come into it. And that Sky is defending this, you know, and then this guy is arguing. And yet, even in the moment, I'm like, Miles, shut up. I want to slap you. Like... (laughs) It's the it's the problem we've had with Sky, where she does not present the argument in a way that we can get excited about, even as we agree with it. Even when she's right. Exactly. And like this guy is completely right here. And yet, you know, we're we end with enough with the manifesto, Miles. And I'm like, no, it's not a manifesto. It's it's. It's rights. It's basic civil rights. rights. I mean, if we if we believe in anything, we have to believe in that. And the idea that Shield will just go and arrest somebody and and deny them due process, like that's not that's not okay. That's what the bad guys do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of sort of complicated world building questions that get wrapped up into this conversation also that I yeah. am 100% sure agents of shield would like us to not think about. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, cause you talk about due process and the law, but they're also working globally internationally. Yeah. So mm-hmm. whose laws are they supposed to use? Well, I mean, they are an American institution. Like all of the people that are working for it are American and we are supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to take civil rights seriously. Now, I got the feeling that the Hong Kong office was Hong Kong. Yeah, I don't know. It seems to be an international organization, yeah. definitely. But it seems to me that like, when you are an international organization, you go according to, you know, the highest, the, 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 
the principles uh, that are the highest in the group. So if they've yeah. got anybody in Finland, basically, then those are the people everybody listens to, right? Um, <laughs> because morally, Finland is probably the best. <laughs> the Finnish people are probably the best in the universe. <laughs> They're actually yeah. decent people. Yeah. Um, whereas Americans are pretty much assholes. But, you know, Americans do have this this concept of rights. And rights are rights. You know, they're not about convenience, you know. So, um, so I find it to be a little bit weird. I don't particularly care for, you know, the the way that it that is presented by by Miles and that that Sky is defending this, you know. Um, I don't know. All of it, all of it feels a little a little off to me because yeah. even when I agree, I feel like we're being led because Miles is such a douche, and because. To be honest, in this very specific instance, he's wrong because he broke the law and now Mm -hmm. a man's life is in danger. And there's a whole lot of like rights go in a special suitcase when it's about saving other people's lives and Mm -hmm. we'll sort of sort out the pieces later. Right. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about police, let alone, you know, international spy organizations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, hmm, I yeah. As much as I enjoy the the sort of warp and woof of this episode. Yeah. The details are so muddy. It yeah. upsets me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to kind of get your footing with it. You know, I mean, it really is. And then of course, later on when we find out that this guy who's like information wants to be free, which is something that first of all, information doesn't want anything. Information just is information should be free. People should have the knowledge and the information and all of the information that they need. We should have that. But at the same time, because douchebag McGee is the one making the point. I'm like, shut up, Miles, and I just want to slap him. You know, <laughs> shut up, Miles is the Agents of Shield equivalent of by Felicia. By Felicia, right? Exactly. Shut up, Miles. Um, but you know, I mean, he's when he is has taken money and has obviously, you know, betrayed his principles for a dollar, you know, right. or a million of them, right? Then even more, we just want to slap him. You know, and and take nothing he says seriously, even when there are a couple of places where he's kind of right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to make of it. I Yeah. <laughs> thanks for making my point about this registration acts in the 616, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's 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 a little difficult. Shield is a little difficult to to deal with like as as a heroic organization at this point um even though we're still with them and I, you know and i still i still love may i may is always fun you know i still um i love of course fitz and simmons who are adorable although we do have that moment where fitz is you know obviously has this huge crush on sky which is kind of annoying but you know whatever he'll get past that <laughs> i hate it so much <laughs> i know well i mean and the thing is that like okay his crush on Sky is kind of stupid because what has she got? She's pretty. Like, that's what she's got. And yes, she's beautiful, but like, there needs to be more to her. And at this time, I don't think that we've necessarily seen that. And I mean, granted, you know, I mean, she is beautiful and that can be appealing. And, you know, and I understand that, but it's not um, nothing. Yeah. But- yeah. yeah, I don't know. I just I, I don't like it. And, you know, and we've just had this, you know, um, this moment, like one of the things with Fitz, too, is and we're going to see this throughout the run of the series, like his response to betrayal is very strong. Yeah, and very passionate. And so we have this moment where he's so upset that Sky didn't tell them about Miles. 
Why would Sky do this to us? For him. I thought she was our friend. I think she is Fitz. He's just obviously more than that. Yeah, but we've been through so much together and she didn't even tell us that she has a guy. Well, who knows what they've been through together. So he's he's upset. You know, they've all been betrayed, you know, um, and Fitz has this like very, very strong reaction. Simmons is much more understanding, you know? Yeah. But Fitz is really upset. And I kind of like the fact that he has that such a strong sense of loyalty, you know, that you don't you don't lie to the people who are on your team. You know, that this mm-hmm. is your family and this is how you do it, you know? And uh and so I kind of like that about Fitz. I mean, how did you how did you respond to that? I I despise and loathe Fitz's crush on Sky. Yeah. <laughs> Because I barely know Fitz and I already think he deserves better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that aspect of his personality where he is just cut to the quick immediately. Yeah. By, I mean, I don't want to say by a relatively small betrayal because you work for, you know, an international espionage organization. So maybe don't betray them at all. Right. And plus when you're, I think, when you're risking your life with somebody on a yeah. fairly regular basis, like you... You need to believe that they've got your back. You need to believe that you can trust them. Yes. And I think that that's huge. I think that Fitz is, I think that betrayal would hit him regardless of that situation. Definitely. Um, I think that he has a very strong and well-developed sense of loyalty. Um, But we also, because, you know, he instantly has this crush on Sky. Sky also has these like romantic, you know, moments, this romantic tension with Ward, although Ward has to, of course, have a heartbeat in order for romantic tension to actually exist and be made out of cardboard that doesn't really work for him. Um, it's so but, terrible, Lonnie. God. God. Yeah. So, you know, I, but it's also just this this thing that that happens where we have a, one beautiful character and instantly everybody's in love with her. And so like Fitz is in love with her and Ward has this, you know, tension with her and all this kind of stuff because she's so pretty, you know, and it's just it's kind of annoying. Really, all of the potential romances on this show kind of turned my stomach. Oh, (laughs) no, I I actually love a couple of them. (laughs) Okay, well, all the ones I've seen up till this point. Right. Yes. All the ones you're seeing at this point are Mm -hmm. not exciting. Like they're not they're not good. I don't like Fitz's. Out of nowhere, crush on Sky mm-hmm. is actually kind of undermines yes. how awesome a character beat it is that he's that hurt that quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't tell if this is genuine emotional response from him. Yeah. Or is this a guy who likes a girl who's never even looked at him feeling like he's been betrayed by her because he likes her? Because of, yeah, because of classic male entitlement to, right. to women, I mean, right? Yeah. Every, you know, every guy-centered, all of your Pretty in Pinks, all mm-hmm. of your, you know, teen exploitation films where he's hurt because he's interested in her and she's not interested in him. Oh, but yeah. there's another guy. I can't tell what it is. Now, because I like Fitz very mm-hmm. much and we have these other episodes to go on, I am prepared to accept it as genuine emotional response but it just really the the crush does nothing the crush does not and help. undermines yeah. this yes so. which is a great moment from fitz um i do read it as genuine emotional hurt and, and this is you know partially because i've obviously i've watched all of the show to date i know who fitz is you know well, and the he's very not next guy. episode yeah the very undoes any interest in sky and we, the one after yeah. that mm-hmm goes even further to show what kind of person Fitz is. So it's just like, it's, 
I, I know you've talked about this before where um, a character will just get broken in the need of a joke. Yeah. And that's not this because this isn't a joke, but it is. Right. It's like you're bending him out of shape for this for these moments that don't that don't pay do anything. off in and any way. In all yeah. fairness, this is the last we see of it. Never raises. Well, thank its God head again. after the next episode. After never, yeah, exactly. Never, <laughs> never raises his head again, which I think is is really good. But one of the things that I am picking up though in this episode is this like tension between May and Coulson. Do yeah. you know? And it's one of these things like they have uh, they have one of these relationships that really is based in a a genuine friendship. You know, yes. Um, and so because of that, because of everything I've seen in in the show, I kind of forgot how it felt like they were really like hitting that romantic tension gong pretty hard in the beginning of season one. We have this moment with uh, with May and Coulson, you know, in the beginning of this episode. You were up early this morning. Heard you puttering around even before I started Tai Chi. Having trouble sleeping? No, I feel great. Just have a little extra energy to burn. If you want, I could lay out the mats downstairs. We could go a few rounds, like the old days. And I mean, you know, okay, first of all, the very idea of Coulson and May going a few rounds, like not <laughs> euphemistically, but actually literally, like Coulson's tough. But May, if she if she actually threw herself into it, would kill him with her pinky. You know, like well, she this is, is the difference tough. between being a specialist and being management. Right, exactly. You know, exactly. you're still management and shield, but that person is a specialist. What do you think that means? That's a specialist in kicking your ass all over the place. That's what that, that is. That is a specialist that, in yeah. just killing you dead. Yeah, knocking people out constantly. Um, but, you know, but there's like, I mean, am I am I seeing something that's not there? There's a lot of heat in those moments between them. I am confused by those moments okay. because I also feel what you're feeling, mm -hmm. but I sort of don't feel like it fits these two characters. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it reminds me somewhat of our discussion about Peggy and Jarvis. Right. Mm -hmm. Except there isn't Steve and a wife looming in the background to kind of give them very good character reasons for it not to be oh, that. Right. Thing. Mm -hmm. But, it, but it still, it fits. It just, it doesn't fit them. It's like an an ill-fitting story garment, you mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's just it's kind of off-putting because I, I read it the same as you, but I don't like it. And I'm not sure that I want it for either one of them. Right. They're mm -hmm. professionals. <laughs> they they live and work in a very tiny space. Right. But they're also mom and dad. Also, the, yes. I mean, it, it's, it's always all of these workplace stories are always a family allegory. It's always Absolutely. about family. And we have a mom and dad. I mean, they are very much mom and dad, you know, especially June. with the way that they deal with they deal with Sky. So you kind of get that sense like I, you know, I mean, without saying anything, I, I, you know, like any spoilers or anything, I will say that I think they pull the throttle back on this quite a bit yeah. to the point where I'd forgotten how 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 like intense that those moments are in the beginning good M much like fits and sky <laughs> yes well fits and sky are just they're gone this is no the i last, mean i mean yeah. i all the possible romantic entanglements in this episode are disgusting yeah and i don't want them and so right. it's good to know that I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> no, you don't have to worry about it. Well, you don't have to worry about most of them. Um, 
<laughs> I will say that uh, that we've you know we've got some moments also with May and Ward, um, which also feel like we have a little bit of a, a little bit of tension going on there, or not even tension. I don't feel like there's romantic tension between them. There's a little bit of chemistry. I think happening between yeah. May and Ward. The thing about that is I, I also don't love that, but mostly because I like May and think Ward is terrible. <laughs> but it makes character sense. Like these are yeah. two people who have worked in the departments of S.H.I.E.L.D. that would require you to make brief and fleeting and possibly meaningful uh, connections, either friendship or romantic. Right. right? Or sexual. But, I mean, because there's romance sexual. and then yeah. there's sexual and then there's, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, any any or any or all, but right. they're brief and they're fleeting. <laughs> like they're short. We yeah. have jobs. We don't right. get connected for good, you mm-hmm. know. So I, it's it's a little more believable from them, even if it also turns my stomach because Ward. Because Ward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Ward. I hated Ward. I did when I first watched and still in the in the early episodes of season one. Um, Ward is, uh, is very, very difficult. He's, he's very cardboard to me. I see now knowing what happens in the future. I see something more complicated going on both in the performance sure. and in the writing for Ward. Uh, but at this point he's just coming off as, you know, as, as cardboard cleft chin and it is not at all interesting. <laughs> um, I, I don't want us to go crazy down this rabbit trail cause we yeah. certainly have done it on episodes that needed it more right Mm -hmm. but i also want to say that a colson may pairing Mm -hmm. is inappropriate Mm -hmm. because he's her boss boss, and it's the same and in a way almost worse with ward and sky because he is like her direct commanding officer officer. they never really talk about it they don't really deal with it it's just skeeving me out so it's just again i don't want to be mr naysayer i am legitimately interested Mm -hmm. in being excited about agents of shield right (laughs) but this is episode five yeah they're not giving me a lot to work with it's 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 got some tough moments although you know there is a lot of stuff that i did like in here one of the things that i liked um honestly were the the evil women you know that we have this doctor who's not doctor anybody she's just debbie I mean, Debbie is a terrible name for a doctor, like Dr. Debbie, you know, I don't know. But uh, but we have we have the doctor who is incredibly evil and cold. We have Raina. Um, you know, we have this moment with Debbie where she's just like drain him, you know, and she doesn't even care about this guy. Um, then the moment where Scorch says, you said I have a gift to Raina and Raina says, and you're giving it. Um, it is this incredibly cold, oh, yeah. very, very focused ends justify the means kind of thing. And the thing is, is that we don't usually see women playing that kind of coldness, you know? And so I actually kind of like that, you know, I like that we've got women and we're, we're not afraid to not let them be like the, the emotional ones or feeling bad. Right. They're not, they're not spending Mm -hmm. any of their time being like, Oh God, I just feel so bad though. You know, like there's none of that. They're just kick ass. I mean, they're bad and evil and that's okay. Like, but, um, but they're not playing, you know, they're not playing any different. This would be the same if they were men doing it as women. And I actually kind of like that. To be honest, in some ways, it might be even more chilling mm-hmm. because Raina is able to turn on that charm and, and warmth. That empathy. Yeah. yeah. You can see it come from her when she wants it, when it suits her. You know, um, we have the moment, of course, when she um, when she names him, you know, and calls him yeah. Scorch. Right. You know, which is uh, which is a nice thing. You want to make Chang Ho Yin 
a famous name. No. You need a simpler name, a, a more powerful name, a name like... Scorch. Scorch. And she really connects with what he wants. You know, she's like, what, you know, she knows what he wants. She uses that to manipulate him. But at the same time, like she has this ability to, to understand people emotionally. That makes her so good at, you know, the evil stuff that she does. But, but I, I like her. I mean, she's cold, but I like her. Well, she is an excellent like secret agent, like yes. the mm-hmm. cultivating of assets, the telling them the thing that they need to hear in an instant, like reading mm-hmm. the situation and just dialing in on exactly the thing that is going to make them have a questionable life choice. Yes. Exactly. You know, the more I think about it, the more I realize I believe Chen Ho Yin's mm-hmm. journey. Yeah. Partly because of his acting, but also because Reina makes sense as a person that you would fo- follow and not in, you know, the femme fatale way. Exactly. Well, that's another yeah. thing, too. They do have that moment where it looks like she's about to kiss him right before, you know, when she says, close your eyes, and then the other guys come in to get him, um, where it looks like she's using her sexuality with him a little bit in that sort of femme fatale way. But for the most part, throughout this, he's just, you know, following, like, the little trail of of breadcrumbs that she's leaving for him knowing exactly what he wants you know yeah it's just Um, a tool in her toolbox exactly she can do that if she needs to yeah no it's it's really i think it's really nicely done you know and and for all the problems that we have in this episode and we do have a handful you know um (laughs) i think that the the chan ho yin and reina stuff is actually really really good um we do get a little bit of of more of colson's like paternal sensibility um, at the end, you know, after they've had to to blow up, you know, Chan Ho Yin, right? And they're all outside the building as it is smoking. Um, we have this little interaction with him and Ward. You can't save someone from themselves, sir. You can if you get to him early enough. And so it's this idea that you can save someone from themselves if you get to them early enough, right? You know, I mean, this is what he's saying that not that it isn't his job to save people from themselves, which it isn't. You know, but that that he can, that he should have. And it is this sense of it's I feel like it's it's well meant, but it's incredibly paternal and it's somewhat dismissive of other people and their agency, you know, feels somewhat Mm -hmm. superior. I was wondering if you had a reaction to that. I'm I'm sort of in a complicated space with Coulson (laughs) anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'm not reading into that stuff so much. What I'd really like is if they played that angle on him hard Mm -hmm. where he's very much we do shady things for the right reasons and Mm -hmm. not even big picture reasons like down to the, you know, to the most personal We were watching him because we knew this was a thing that might happen. Well, you watching him also pushed him into it. Exactly. Yes, but. I mean, like there if that were the back and forth, yeah. you know, um, yeah. that would actually be a kind of interesting take on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm just in such a weird space as far as S.H.I.E.L.D. and the company line right here that I didn't really think too much about that. I like it. If that were the thing they were doing. Yeah. (laughs) But I feel like what they're saying is that, you know, Coulson's right that he is. And and the thing is that like a benevolent dictator is still a dictator. Like even though he's, he's trying to protect people and he's trying to help people, 
you still can't deny people their own agency to make their own choices and to do their own thing. You can respond to the things that they do. You know, they're breaking laws. If they're hurting people, you can intervene, but you can't, you know, you can't and you shouldn't protect people from themselves. You shouldn't control what people do. And I feel like he is trying to control people, you know, for for the ultimate good, but it still feels a little bit wrong to me. And so I just, yeah. there were a couple of moments in this episode that just kind of, you know, clunked for me a little bit like that. Um, but one of the things that I do like, though, at the end of the episode, we do get this moment with Sky, you know, where she is vulnerable. She wants these details about her parents, mm-hmm. you know, and that that's why she's been looking to get to S.H.I.E.L.D. I think that uh, Chloe Bennett, who plays Sky, uh, did a really good job with this scene. She really sold that vulnerability. I thought that it was it was nice. And it's the first moment where I really feel like I could like her um, in, in the series so far. I don't know. Did it do anything for you? Did she win you over at all with that? This is going to be a real high hill to climb. I don't, (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. No, you know what? Honestly, the first run through, I I don't think it did much for me either, but because I, I really like the actress, Chloe Bennett, that we do more interesting things with her as we move through the series, it does get better. Um, I think maybe a little of the goodwill that has been, has been purchased (laughs) for me from this character and from this actress later on has kind of seeped into to this space. But if if you're not if you're not there yet, that's okay. That's okay. You're not wrong about the scene. Like yeah. this is what that scene is supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. It's just I've had four point nine other episodes of Sky. Yeah. So it's going to be a little. It, it's going to take more. a little while to get. That's yeah. okay. That's all right. Um, and we also have the coda at the end of every episode of Agents of Shield. We'll have a little coda, which is usually um, either some kind of movement for the overall big story for the season, or something you know teasing something that's to come later or whatever. Um, and we have Reina and this guy in jail talking about this mysterious clairvoyant character, um, and because it's a coda, you know, just this little thing at the end that doesn't really have much to do with the rest of the of the episode sometimes they can be sort of easy to forget you know that mm-hmm. we've got this but but we do have this kind of overarching story beat dropped you know that there is somebody who is you know moving things in the background a clairvoyant who you know presumption is can see all you know and Raina wants connection with him you know, through this guy in jail. So, um, so I thought that that was, you know, kind of interesting, but I'm wondering from the perspective, like, were you at all like, were you like, Oh, or were you like, whatever. (laughs) There are two things that I like about that coda, but one Mm -hmm. of them is sort of tinged with a negative. I swear I'm not going to be this guy. We're going to go do dark world next and you're going to be the negative Nelly. I'm going to be positive. (laughs) The thing that it does with no tinge of negativity, the best thing is that Reina is also clearly working that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, in the most asexual way possible, I like your dress. I know. And I'm just like, yeah, dude, you think you're in charge of this right. and you're just not as in charge as you think you are. You are creepy as hell, but you are nowhere near her league. Like this girl. And the thing is, is that she will manipulate people while it is clear she is manipulating people to everybody, including the people she's manipulating. And she'll still get it done. Like, yeah, she's I love she's this. Great. Yeah. Um, the other thing was and I actually was thinking about this in terms of some of your concerns with early Agent Carter. Right. Uh-huh. We needed 
a looming big bad mm-hmm. four episodes ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- our main characters didn't even have to know it existed yet. Right. Necessarily. But, but we, we need to know. the yes. viewers could have used this scene some time ago. And I that's think. that's the problem with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that it is doing something infinitely better and more interesting than what we think it's doing. But because it doesn't let us know that until most of the way through the season, you know, you oh think Lord. this is just a standard. I mean, it really does. It takes a while. Um, so like <laughs> knowing everything that I know and how well I know this show, the I'm enjoying these episodes a lot more than I did because I know the greater context of it. But they didn't do a great job of selling that. And that's why, I mean, they started out the opening episode had 12 million viewers. And I mean, it dropped like a stone, mm. you know, because it didn't, it, it was so, it, it, it's good storytelling. There's good stuff happening here. And there are things that are happening that, that are not clear until later, you know, um, which make this much, much more interesting than it actually appears to be but what it appears to be is this kind of you know team-based episodic thing we've seen a million times with nothing terribly special except every now and again they'll mention thor you know so (laughs) it's yeah it's like you know so it doesn't like the people who love marvel and want to come to agents of shield for the marvel of it you know are kind of not getting a lot of that they're getting yeah. this this like standard kind of you know team-based monster of the week sort of thing you know and then the people who want to you know watch a show that like you know has has this you know bigger development and and you know more like it's just it doesn't suit any of the the audiences that it's it's looking to suit i think by the time it started really pulling all of that storytelling together so well it had lost so much that it just couldn't regain that ground you know people just weren't going to come back because getting through the first 15 16 episodes can be a little bit of a slog no i think that dichotomy is exactly the thing like i came here for the marvel of it and you're giving me something else yeah and i know that giving me the marvel of it would satisfy me more mm-hmm. because fizzed Right. (laughs) Is it's just nodding at the broader MCU. But if every single episode were dealing with something directly connected to the larger MCU, even if it's a helmet of a Chitauri, I would be like, oh, I know what you're doing. Right. I get it. Mm -hmm. And I'm here for it. You know? Yeah. Or do the other thing from Jump Street instead of. (laughs) Right. You know, drips and drabs. So, Yeah. yeah, it is legitimately confusing. But I can tell that I. I at least would have been more pleased from the beginning mm-hmm. if it had been more of that show up for the Marvel of it, because Fizzed really does it for me. I love this episode. This is the first episode of the first uh, season that I genuinely love everything in it. I think it is it is so great. And mostly for me, it's all about Fitzsimmons. You know, Mm -hmm. it's all about that relationship. Like, I come to this stuff. The Marvel of it, honestly, is not a big draw for me. Like, I, you know, I I like the Marvel. I like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. From a story nerd perspective, the expansiveness of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is more what draws me in than, like, superheroes or, like, any of those kinds of stories. Although the more time I spend with you, the more interested I do become in that (laughs) that element of it. Because the, the greater context and understanding of the movement of the genre 
genre uh, that you have, I think, makes it much, much more interesting for me on that level as well. So I'm, at, I'm more and more in it for the marvel of it as we move forward in this little project that we're doing. And I say little project laughingly because, oh, my God. But the expansiveness of this storytelling that we've got movies and we've got TV shows and then there's the whole comic, you know, um, history and all of this stuff that is just so incredibly expansive. And each of the TV shows has their own little world as well. Mm-hmm. They have their own feel to it. You know, you've got like Jessica Jones, which is this very noir thing. And then we've got Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is this, you know, team-based, uh, you know, kind of spy um, thriller stuff. You know, it's it's really cool. But when it comes right down to it for me, it is always about the characters. It's always about the relationships. And that's what we get with Fizzit. I, I do not disagree with any of that. When mm-hmm. I say... When I think of coming for the Marvel of it, this is the kind of thing that I think where it's like, oh, I'm part of this other universe, but nobody is going to ask about the fireman that took a helmet home during an Avengers movie. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm interested in that stuff. So show me that stuff, you know? Right, right. And then in the midst of that, we get this amazing character drama with Fitz and Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. This, Yeah. Which is I, so I did beautifully done. really like I Spy for mm-hmm. very similar reasons, yes. but not Fitzsimmons focused mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I'm with you. This is uh, not my first because I really liked I Spy, but it's my second real enthusiastic hell yeah for one of these episodes. Yeah, no, I absolutely like love this whole thing. I think it's just adorable. Um, I I love that, you know, we've got this thing in the beginning, you know, Fitz is awkwardly trying to connect with Sky and whatever. And that's stupid. Um, and that's the last we're going to see of that. But then, you know, we have um, Fitz making fun of Grant Ward and like doing the, the impression, you know, and as Simmons, we all should. Exactly. And then Simmons walks in afterward, right? And does an impression. And I mean, granted, like, it's one of two things. Like, either they're they're so connected that they would both do this same thing at the same time because of how connected they are. Or they've been making fun of him, you know, regularly. And it's kind of a shtick that they do. But oh, the fact yeah. that she wasn't even there for his impression. But she comes in and does her impression of him. Which I thought was really... It was just like a fun moment showing how incredibly connected these two characters are you know yeah i love that bit yeah i love it i love taking the piss out of ward yes i love Mm -hmm. i love fitz and simmons being independently hilarious with the same joke it's Mm -hmm. all great i know (laughs) i know and i mean just there's so much in this episode that is um that is just adorable with the two of them. And we really get that relationship like right in the beginning, like after they've brought the the dead body back onto the, into the lab and Fitz is outside and he and Simmons are fighting. Body. He's afraid of it, isn't he? It's the smell. There's no shame in it, Fitz. It's perfectly natural to be afraid. No, the only thing I'm afraid of is putrid, decaying flesh, corrupting my pristine workspace. Do you remember the last time you brought a dead thing into the lab? Oh, not this stupid cat again. The and cat. it's our lab, Fitz, Tell not your lab. You left his liver next to my lunch. Guys. And so we have this thing with Fitz where, you know, he, she's always saying, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. And he's always like, I'm not afraid. <laughs> you know, but he's right. totally It's afraid. just gross. It's just gross. You left its liver next to my lunch. It's just when they start fighting, when they start talking over each other, you know, it is so fun to see them kind of have that connection. Um, and what's kind of interesting is that while we open up with this sort of mystery, right? You know, we've got these guys, they're 
are dying in this very mysterious way, you know, and we're sort of following through that mystery. That's not what the episode is about. And and we kind of finish no. up. We finish up with those guys in the middle of it when the last one dies. Um, although we do have that really wonderful moment with Coulson counseling him through that. Listen to me. I've been where you are right now. So please believe me when I tell you, you don't have to be afraid. What are you, what are you talking about? Your job. Gets pretty dangerous, doesn't it? Mine too. I got hurt once. Pretty bad. And I... I died. Some say it was only for eight seconds, but I know it was more than that. I know I wasn't here anymore. I was there. What's it like? It's beautiful. Well, the thing I love about that yeah. is that those guys get a beginning, middle, and end too. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it doesn't get in the way of the beginning, middle, and end that our team is having. Right. Mm-hmm. Other than maybe a late start, but honestly, that stuff with the scouts was fantastic. Right. So, <laughs> it was kind of fun. And I love know. that moment with May where she's interrogating the kid and she like pushes the plate of cookies at him. <laughs> okay. I love that too because it probably worked. Yes. Like, like I have this, I have this whole thing. If you listen to my Batman, the animated series podcast, yes. mm-hmm. an animated discussion, I always point out how kids are never afraid of Batman. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, he's terrifying, but not to them. They get it. They and I get feel it, like right. it would be really cool. It's really cool in my head if May like lives in that same space where. Right. Their kids aren't afraid of her. I know. Kids aren't afraid of her. They know who she's going <laughs> to kick ass on and it's not them, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, it's, it's just, it's such a wonderful moment because May's so tough. And when she slides the cookies, it also is one of my favorite. Now, it, of course, gives us a gif that we can use over and over again. I use that gif all the time on Twitter. I love it. <laughs> um, Here's your cookie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so we have this wonderful moment with uh, with Coulson and, and the last guy, Tony Diaz, who's about to die. You know, he counsels him through it in this really, really wonderful way. Um, and And then we move back onto the bus, you know, and that's the moment when... Simmons is so excited about the science of it and the thing starts floating behind her and we realize that she has been infected by it, you yes, know? Yes, man. And it is so, it's this moment where you're just like, oh my God, like, you know, you don't think about, although right in the beginning, she's the one who walks up to the first body and yep. you do see the arc of the, of the electric shock jump to her, you know? So you see yeah. that, but you don't make that connection until, um, until they're in this moment. They're over the ocean. If she, you know, has her explosion, she's going to take down the whole, you know, plane and everybody's going to die, you know? So we've got huge amounts of of consequence. You know, we've got this heroic moment for Simmons, you know, Um, heroic moments for Fitz, heroic moments even for Ward, you know? I mean, kind (laughs) of. I mean, listen, I want to give the guy a do, but at the same time, that's mm-hmm. Tuesday at two. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's not quite such a big deal for him. I also heroically make myself a bowl of cereal every morning, Lonnie. Right. That's the level 
of effort that Ward has to put in to jump out of an airplane. <laughs> but I love um I love that moment though where um you know where Simmons realizes what's going on. You know, she's talking with Fitz. She's trying to, you know, to make this connection, you know, um, uh, like, you know, to make the connection to figure out what's going on or how to, how to, you know, solve this and she can't solve it, you know, but then Mm -hmm. the two of them fight. And then that's when she has that realization, you know, about what it is that she needs to do. Um, And then of course he jumps right in you know, in, in the space with her, which I think is just fantastic. So I love when he, when he does that, um, and, and comes in even against her objections. Yeah. You know, which I think is just fantastic. Fitz and Simmons are tied for most heroic moment as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. I mean, cause Fitz throwing himself in there is for real a death sentence, but he does it anyway. Cause it might work out. Cause it might, cause that's the thing because he doesn't and exist same for Simmons. Simmons. Yeah, exactly. Jumping, it's, exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's really, really nice. And I think that um, Elizabeth Henstridge, who plays Simmons, did an incredible job. The moment when she talks to Coulson about telling her father. Sir, I know the protocol in these circumstances, but could you please tell my dad first? I just think my mom would take it better if it comes from him. We're not there yet. There's still time. So that was the moment. I mean, I was just devastated when she's saying this to Colson. He's like, we're not there yet, you know, Um, but she absolutely knows that this is, you know, where they are. This last, you know, rat has not died. She sends everybody away, you know, and then she hits Fitz in the head and knocks him out (laughs) because she knows he'll try to stop her. The most loving head trauma the most there has ever been. loving head trauma there has ever been. It is <laughs> so incredibly sweet and wonderful. And like and uh Ian DeCasker, the way that he when he wakes up and he's banging on the window and he can't stop her, and then he, you know, he gets the um he realizes that it does work, he gets the thing together, he grabs the parachute. He is about to jump out of that plane after her. Like that is yeah, he's going. Incredible. He is going to go. I mean, Ward comes and grabs it and takes it and does it, you know. Um, but Fitz was going to jump out of that plane after her. And this is the moment. Like, this is the the thing, like, at the end of the episode where, you know, he's talking to her about how he was going to jump out. And I was going to do I it. I know you were. I had the anti-serum, the shoe, everything. I just couldn't get the straps Fitz, on. please. And, you know, maybe I couldn't have done the whole... James Bond and Medair Fitz, type shut up. Of thing. Please, just... Ward did an amazing thing. Yes. But it wasn't Ward by my side in that lab searching for a cure. It wasn't Ward giving me hope when I had none. It was you. Hmm. You're the hero. And then... I think this is the moment, you know, no spoilers or anything. I see this in this episode. I saw it the first time. This is the moment that Fitz realizes he's in love with Simmons. I've been lightly dreading that realization mm-hmm. because I really like them as sort of um, yeah. arguing brother and sister. Yeah. You know, um, but OK, like, oh, we'll see how <laughs> it goes. my arm. <laughs> you, you better it better work out real well right. is all i'm saying <laughs> right well you know me i'm a ship everything 
Like I always want the romance with with some exceptions, you know. Uh I don't want Fitz and Sky at all. Um but uh but yeah, like I I like this moment. She, you know, kisses him on the cheek and she leaves and he's smiling, his smile fades and he's staring off into the end from that moment. There's nothing about him and Sky. There's no flirting with Sky. Yeah. There's nothing like he that is the moment that he knows. I think he knows when he goes into the when he when she's in danger, when he thinks she's going to die. I think that's when he realizes it. Definitely. I think yeah. that he goes into that, you know, into the quarantine with her because if there's no Simmons, he doesn't want to live. If Simmons jumps out of the plane, he's going to jump out with her. We've talked about it before how rare really well done friendships are yeah. either between two women, between two men, across genders, mm -hmm. we don't see that as often as we would like. And yeah. I think losing that opportunity is probably my only issue with that pairing. Right. I think that you know? when, a, when a romance overtakes a friendship, when the friendship yeah. no longer exists because we're in this wildly dramatic romantic space, um, I think that that's when that becomes a problem. This is what I mean when I say it better turn out well. So yeah. now I understand exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. I, I, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to say that, you know, we'll, we'll keep watching and you can decide how you feel, you know, as we as we move forward <laughs> through this relationship. Um, you know, we also have this um, this moment where Coulson is squaring off with his superior Right. Blake, who's mm -hmm. telling him that he has to dump the the infected cargo, which is Simmons, you know, yeah. um, and he's refusing to do it. Simmons makes this choice and he is he is really ready to let the whole plane go down rather than lose Simmons. I think probably he's willing to run as hard up against the yeah. deadline as Skid he possibly can. Deadline. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, shield protocol is, oh, you dump it now. Yeah. You know, because yeah. that's what would be wise. But mm -hmm. he's, I don't know that he's prepared to let the whole boat go, but he's definitely prepared to let it go much further than he ought to before that kind of a decision has to be made. Right. And much further than, than, than Simmons will. I mean, yeah. Simmons makes that call when she says, tell my father. Simmons makes that call. You know, mm -hmm. um, and he says, we're not there yet. And she's like, no, we're there, you know. Um, so she really makes that makes that decision and makes that choice. But I like this thing at the end in the coda that we have with Blake, where Blake's all pissed off at him for, you know, basically defying a direct order. Mm -hmm. And so we get this little interaction between the two of them that I think is really interesting. HQ, hate keep pulling stunts like that. Someone might decide to take this little dream team away from you. I'd like to see them try. That doesn't sound like the Phil Coulson I used to know. No, I suppose it doesn't. Get used to it. But it yeah. kind of does sound a little bit like the Coulson that we used to know. I mean, if you think back to, I think it was Iron Man 2, where he's, you know, he told Tony Sark he'd tase him <laughs> and watch Super Nanny while Tony drools into the carpet. Like, I feel like we've seen this tough guy before. <laughs> this is... Okay, I think Blake is probably speaking more directly to the bucking of rules. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. But this feels more like a synthesis of pre-Avengers Coulson and yeah. post-Avengers Coulson. Yeah. Like, we get a very hard-charging warm father figure, mm -hmm. you know, at the same time that we turn and tell other people where they can stick their concerns. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. um, it's It's... 
it's the marriage of both these things. Because we also have a scene Mm -hmm. in this episode where we deal head on with the fact that Coulson is different. This piece of paper is telling me that everything's fine. But I don't feel fine. I feel different. Take off your shirt. Excuse me. Your shirt. Unbutton it. Whether it was eight seconds or 40, you died. There's no way you can go through a trauma like that and not come out of it changed. And we've also had this this hint about, you know, May's been through something. We've talked a little bit about Bahrain. You know, we've talked a little bit about that. So we know that she has something in her past that made her, as kick-ass as she is, end up behind a desk. You know, he had to pull her out from behind that desk. So um, so I kind of like that. You know, I like that relationship between the two of them. You know, um, she has him open his shirt. And even though they've had all this like weird, you know, chemistry, this weird like romantic chemistry between them, like in this moment, it doesn't feel like that to me. And I like it. Right. Right. I like that it's this is a close friendship, you know, between these two. And I really, really like that. Um, So, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. We are sort of starting to address this idea that... Um, Colson, you know, when he's so, and he's so vulnerable in that moment, I feel different. You know, this, this paper, this paper tells me everything's fine, but I don't feel fine. Like, I, I love that with him. I think that that is so incredibly powerful. You know, um, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. 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 That, that is, that scene actually does what it's supposed to do. Right. As mm-hmm. far as me and these characters that I'm sort of meh on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Like, right. I, I want to see more of that kind of internal conflict mm-hmm. brought out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Into the way that he operates as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and a boss of this team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believed that moment, at least. And, yes. I, and I believed it from May, too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. something killed a part of her. Like, yeah. it's hers was a more metaphorical death, but... Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. part of her died. She's not, She's not just speaking yeah. platitudes. Right. You know? She's been through it. She knows what that is, you know. And uh, and I love that with the two of them. And I love the way that she she doesn't share a whole lot. She's not a mm-hmm. talker, you know. But when it comes down to it, she can make that connection. And she can be there for him, which I really, really liked. So I like that we're moving that story. You know, we've obviously got a big question about what actually happened to Coulson. You know, in the very first episode, he does he really doesn't know. He can never know, which of course means he's gonna find out. Like he can never know. Like that thing we have um we have earlier in, in the in the first episode in Girl in a Flower Dress from Scorch, where he's like, nothing can stop me now. Like never yeah. say that as a villain. If you say that as a villain, it's because you're about to get like totally stopped. <laughs> yeah, that's about to happen like in the next ironic second. Exactly, the next <laughs> ironic second. All right, so that moves us forward into the last episode we're going to talk about today, The Hub. 
right? We open in this uh, Enmedius Rest opening where we see the team in action uh, doing an extraction, getting uh, Coulson out of trouble where he's about to be like very, very seriously tortured, you know? Um, and usually I don't like an Enmedius Rest opening, but I think that actually it works really well here given how that opening is actually our inciting incident for the bigger story of yeah. you know of Fitz and Ward going and do because they're they're getting the um the information that this guy stuffed up his nose you know which is great yeah um, this is yeah. this is proper putting together spy stories where yeah. you are both telling us something we're going to need to know at the end yes mm-hmm. um oh oh this is what an extraction looks like right Neat. Mm-hmm. right um you're setting up your conflict or whatever your mission is with this and it's not yes. just action for action's sake it's not right. just the before the credits james bond thing so you remember that you're you've never seen james bond movies you don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> I am not a James Bond fan, but I do know the general, I have a general idea of the the cultural expectations of a James no. Bond movie, so I get it. Okay. There is always a big, giant action scene before the credits roll in a okay. James Bond movie, because okay. after that, we're going to talk a lot and uh, set up the, the rest of the mission. So right. we do some big, flashy thing. And does it and ever have anything even, to do with the overall story? Oh, sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, it's, when it's done really well. Yeah. Yes, just like this, well, right? See, like I wouldn't blame Agents of yeah. Shield if they just were having fun, but right, they, you know, they actually served their overall narrative with this. They did, so. and that's why I usually don't like end media's rest openings because it is usually just like, oh, look, we're having this action and it's so exciting, but it has nothing to do with anything. And the fact of the matter is that you can do more than one thing at once. You that's want right. your end media's rest opening? That's fine. Pay for it by also making it your inciting incident at the same time, which is exactly what they did. So I thought that this was really nicely done, that it was a well-structured episode. And it's one of the things I have to say for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that I do really like. They tend to be well written. Like from a narrative perspective, they're usually on really strong ground. These people know how to tell a damn story. And so for me, from that whole narrative perspective, I really appreciate that. No, I I agree completely. Mm -hmm. It's one reason that I can talk very seriously about each individual episode. Yeah. And find a lot to enjoy and appreciate in it, even if the sort of bigger tapestry isn't really doing anything for me. Right. You know, like each individual package is great. Yeah. yeah. The hub isn't one of my favorites. There are some things that I love in it. I love the adventure with Ward and Fitz. I love that relationship. I even love Sky and Simmons working together. I think that that's They're really my favorite fun. part. <laughs> They're really, really fun. I love a lot of that. But the overall, like, you know, Victoria Hand and being at the hub, being with S.H.I.E.L.D., this idea that they would send them out there and not have an extraction plan, which seems kind of silly it seems really silly to deliberately send them in without an extraction plan, you know? Um, so yeah, I just, I found that to be kind of annoying and whatever, but I really love these, these moments of everybody working together that we have these like team, team sets, you know, and usually it's Fitz and Simmons working together and then it's Ward and Sky working together. I like that we split that up. I think that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you start mixing and matching 
your five man band in yeah. different ways. That's really good stuff. It is. It's a lot of fun. Um, so we have, as we're talking about, Sitwell from the movies. You know, um, he's always in the background, basically. But it's I, I kind of liked having him there because it was just this element of consistency. I mean, he'd been in a couple of Marvel one shots. He was in Avengers. Uh, he's going to be in the Winter Soldier. You know, um, kind of in the background. So I didn't mind. I didn't mind seeing Sitwell. I, I was okay with that. Um, no, he's he's doing his job here. He's, doing his thing. Uh, Victoria Hand is played by Saffron Burroughs, um, who is also an Irish act- actress, uh, who was uh, in one of my favorite terrible movies. You know how there's those movies that are just dreadful, but you love them? You know? I know them well. Yes. So one of mine is uh, 1997's The Matchmaker with Janine Garofalo, a uh, terribly structured romantic comedy, big fat mess in, in the third act. I mean, just absolutely a mess, but I love it. It makes me so happy every time I watch it. She's in that. <laughs> So I was I was happy to see her. <laughs> I vaguely recall trailers. Yes, yes. Um, it was a while ago. <laughs> it was a it was a while ago. It was some twenty years ago. Um, but uh, but she's held up very well. She looks good. Um, I like the pink in her hair. I think that that is a very classy thing to do. Um, so uh, so I enjoyed that. Um, but this whole thing, like you know, all the stuff and all the like shield, you know, um, drama and everything, I really don't care about. I love this relationship with with Fitz and Ward. You know, I love they go to this, uh, that Russian bar, you know, and they end up in yeah. the back. And then, of course, you know, Fitz is asking questions and getting answers he does not want. What's happening? Why haven't they killed us yet? I mean, I'm glad that they haven't killed us They're yet. They're waiting for their boss. So before he gets here, we need a plan. How long can you hold your breath underwater? I don't know. You familiar with the term slam and cram? No, and I, d- I don't think I want to be. How attached are you to your pinky? Very, very attached. And before you ask another terrifyingly vague question, let me be clear. Any plan that involves even one of those scenarios isn't going to work for me. It's so, it's such a wonderful moment with the two of them. I love the way that Fitz is just, you know, snapping at Ward. And I also love that he sets off an EMP device, shuts down their electricity, then plays the hero as he pulls it back up for them. They love him. They're giving him drinks. And he's actually the one who's able to save the day. I love that we pull his capability, you know, because we we always talk about like, you know, they're in the field and he isn't ready to be in the field, you know, but he is completely ready to be in the field. I mean, he did great. Yeah. That felt like an old Fitz trick from college or something, right? Right. Like where he ingratiated himself with the the frat house or whatever, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. No, trust me. I know it'll work because it's worked a lot before. Right. (laughs) That's how it gets out of trouble. Never leave the house without your EMP device. Yeah. No, that was a... And... It really showed a side of Fitz's capability that did not come out of nowhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that's clearly in his wheelhouse. He didn't have to stop being himself to be useful in the field. He just had to be creative. Right. And he just did it in the way that was genuine to him. Like, you know, Ward does things in his way and Fitz does things in his way. But Fitz is no less capable than Ward. And I like that. I like that he's not just the goofy guy who screws everything up out in the field. I'll tell you this, Fitz turns out to be surprisingly more useful in the field than Ward would be in the lab. Oh, damn straight. Damn <laughs> straight. And then we've got the flip side of this with Sky and Simmons working together, where Simmons is so desperate to get the information, she can't get the information. And so Sky, of course, makes another suggestion. If we want the truth, we've got to get it ourselves. 
Okay. How would you suggest... Oh, wait, no. No. Yes. No! I can't be a part of your bad girl shenanigans. I like following the rules and doing what's expected of me. Makes me feel nice. Oh, my God. When she says I can't be a part of your bad girl shenanigans... <laughs> That is one of my favorite parts of the whole thing. <laughs> I love that line a lot. It made me think of a series of movies called uh, St. Trinians. Uh-huh, right, um, yeah. Are you familiar with St. Trinians? I am familiar with St. Trinians, yes. Oh, old school or yeah. the reboot? Old school. I don't. I, I have a friend who, um, who loved the old school movies. Yes, yeah. okay, mm -hmm. me too. And not for nothing does Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. make me think of a finishing school that also holds heists. Yes, sure. You know, <laughs> but they did. They also did a couple of uh, more recent um, St. Trinian stories. Mm-hmm. That are just delightful. So, oh, yeah, this yeah. whole bad girl shenanigans, uh, um, getting up to no good. These two girls who are, you know, about three quarters competent. Right. Simmons is so not ready for it. But, of course, like Sky can't get in because of her bracelets. So Simmons has to do all this stuff. And then, you know, we have this whole thing where she's trying to get in, you know, at the at the wall panel. And then Sitwell comes up on her and she shoots him, <laughs> which is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I panicked. <laughs> right. And then we have this, like, you know, wonderful interaction between her and Skye. Oh, I'm definitely sure Agent Sitwell. Good, good, good. Was that all right? That was terrible. You were terrible at this. That was total meltdown. The night night gun was right there. And I... You need help. You need to go get me. I love that whole thing with the two of them. They're adorable together. And Simmons, you know, does the best that she could. She just shoots him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I I'm really I'm really here for uh for the I I wondered if there would be any kind of fallout for that and I guess there wasn't a whole I, lot. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Which I am backfilling as nobody was really that upset that Sitwell got shot. Yeah, I think that everybody was just like, Okay, fine. You know, if you'd shot somebody we liked, we would have had right. a problem with it. But it was Sitwell. You shot just the right jerk. Every everybody's been wanting go. to shoot Sitwell, right? <laughs> Everybody wanted to do it. Exactly. Only Simmons had the guts. Only Simmons had the guts. So they look <laughs> the other way on it. I know. It's kind of nice. Um, and then we've got, you know, meanwhile, all of this stuff happening with Fitz and Ward, you know, and then, of course, Ward throws away the prosciutto and buffalo mozzarella sandwich with a hint of aioli. Yeah, you can have half. There are dogs tracking us, and you bring a prosciutto sandwich. I can't believe you just did that. This is a mission, not a picnic. Oh, well, aware it's not a picnic. Mr. Save the Day. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, come on. You obviously get off of being the guy who always gets to throw the last punch, who always swips in to save the girl. Now you destroyed the world's most dangerous sandwich. I really want that sandwich, Lonnie. I know it sounds amazing. Did you see like how it was wrapped up in this not a like paper napkin in a cloth napkin with string? This was beautifully and lovingly put together for Fitz. And I just I love that she makes him that sandwich before he goes. I know he's listening. Yes. Chef Jonathan, we need to talk about this sandwich. Oh, Chef Jonathan, make that sandwich. I was going to say I'd come down to Oklahoma City for it. I probably won't. But still, <laughs> you can tell me about Jonathan, it. Jonathan, <laughs> make that sandwich so I can eat it while I'm on the phone with Lonnie. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> you got a cold side in you, Unruh. 
man. Oh, Oh, not really, probably. (laughs) That's okay. Jonathan, make him the sandwich. Absolutely. I'd probably tell you about it afterwards, not make you sit there and listen to it. Um, All right. So we have also some interesting choices here again. Like choices are always the big thing that defines a character. And here Mm -hmm. we have Skye where she has a limited amount of time and she has a choice to either find out the information on the um, on the mission that these guys are on or possibly find the files on her parents. And she chooses Ward and Fitz. And so this is a moment for me. I'm really starting to like Sky. How are you feeling about Sky at this point? Is she is she at all, you know, or is she that winning you over? That was a strong first step. Okay. <laughs> I like that. She makes that choice. It's a good choice. Yes. That that is really I I'm kind of making a I'm kind of joking because it it didn't land even as hard as I wanted it to. Right. Mm-hmm. Because because I guess I just didn't entirely buy into her vulnerability in the last episode. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. The parent stuff is so fresh mm-hmm. that I I don't want to say it's a false choice. This is a well-executed episode, and that choice is good. And and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not really joking when I say that's a strong first step. This is the first time when I think, okay, Sky is an actual human being, Mm -hmm. and and not you know this collection of pink lip gloss and hacker tropes, right? You know, (laughs) Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. It it was it was good. I I actually felt myself wanting it to be more, Mm -hmm. and it just. But it's something. Yeah, there's no. a heartbeat. Right between that and <laughs> and the way that she works with Simmons, like I'm I'm actually pretty good with yeah. This guy. Listen, I'm, I'm that's actually way like better Scott. for yeah. me. Yeah, it, it really um, is. I yeah, and it strums those Saint Trinian's heartstrings, right? So I'm just yeah. like, yeah, bad girl shenanigans. That's <laughs> do it. Bad girl shenanigans. Oh my god, it's so cute. Um, so we move into this realization, right? They report into Coulson that there's no extraction plan. Coulson, of course, then complains to Victoria Hand. We have this whole thing throughout the thing where we're revisiting this trust the system, trust the system thing, um, which feels like a dangerous idea, especially considering all of the questionable things that Shield has been doing, you know, like under the direction of Coulson as well. But uh, but then we have this moment with Victoria Hand, which I know that you appreciated, right? When he's when she says Barton Romanov, they never have an extraction plan. I was like, oh, they mentioned Hawkeye just for Unruh. I know that you That's must right. have been so happy when they mentioned Hawkeye. Yes, they never have an extraction plan for Romanov because she can handle herself, and they never have an extraction plan for Barton because they hope he dies. Because nobody wants him back, right? Nobody wants him back. <laughs> I'd invite Sitwell to my birthday party first. <laughs> I thought it made me think of you. I was like, there we go. We got a little Hawkeye in this. So you cannot escape him. He's just everywhere, like an he ink stain, just spreading. Everywhere, exactly. <laughs> um, and then we move into this really wonderful moment with Fitz, where Ward realizes because he flashed a signal on the side of the building with the flashlight, and I guess that that made him realize that they weren't coming for him or whatever. I don't know how he how he figured that out. But, um, but he knows they're not coming. He tells Fitz to get going, and we have this lovely interaction between the two of them. Once you take that thing apart and I set off the remote beacon, we're on our own. You should go. I'm not leaving. It's, there's no time you to argue. You don't think I can handle this? No, I am trying to protect uh, you. you think I'm a coward. Is that it? What? 
No. I am every bit the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that you are. Oh, oh. You don't have anything to prove. What you said about me always needing to swoop in, I know you would have jumped out of the plane to save Simmons. And she knows that too. I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone. Okay, before we left, you're not the only one that Coulson talked to, okay? He told me to take care of you too. And that's exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm not going anywhere. And Fitz is in it. He is gonna do the job. He's not gonna run off. He's not gonna try to save himself. And I love that moment where he's like, what do you think, I'm a coward? You know, and he's yeah. not a coward. And the thing is that he's not trying to prove anything. This isn't Fitz being like, I'm going to prove something. This is who Fitz is. He is mm-hmm. not a coward. This is the difference between a Fitz who just wanted to play with the most advanced toys. Yes. And a Fitz who wants to work for S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Like he could have gone to Stark. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, one mm-hmm. of the other, we assume, tech companies that exist in the MCU. But, I mean, if all he wanted to do was cutting-edge business, mm-hmm. he could have done that and not been at S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. But he also wants to save the world a little bit, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. in his way. And right now, this is his way. Right. I don't even know necessarily. I mean, I think that, like, part of him does want to save the world. But I think that he does that, like, he serves that purpose every day. With the work yes. that he does. But this is just about, I'm here. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to face it. Whatever it is, no, he's going to face it. You know? He's been saving the world yeah. from the lab. Right. Like, that, But because of the way S.H.I.E.L.D. works, yeah. every now and then, lightning strikes and he's got to be out in the field. Yeah. You know, this it just today, the consequences are a little bit more serious right. than they are in the lab and you know? he doesn't but hesitate. he never shies away from it yeah he doesn't hesitate because he is badass like he is badass and this is this is when i was really surprised and so pleased by what they were doing with fits because it is so easy to make the smart nerdy guy you know, like the butt of the joke. And it's so easy to make him afraid and make him cowardly and like not allow him to be a badass. But he is, they give him capability. He saves the mission. You know, he's the one who makes this happen and he's going to face it with Ward. And he is totally right there. He is not freaking out. He's just going to do the job and make it get done. And, um, And I love seeing that in him. And, you know, and that is... Fits. That's who Fitz is. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that character. Yeah, I re- I really appreciate everything they're doing with Fitz and Simmons in these two episodes. This yeah. and Fizzed. Yes. Know, because there's a way where the end of Fizzed could have had him overcompensating yeah. in this episode, but that's right. clearly not what's happening. Right. He's I mean, we do have them talking just doing about his job. Like we have them talking about in the in the clip with the um with the sandwich, he's talking about how, oh, you've always got to save the girl and jump out of the plane. And I was going to jump out of the plane. And then <laughs> we come back to this that we just listened to where Ward is saying, I know you were going to jump out of the plane, you know? And it's not about him proving anything. It's this is who I am. Like, you know, he just knows who he is, which is really great. And then we have this wonderful moment, of course, with Fitz and Simmons. I had Ward back the whole time. Pretty much saved him from a gang of Russian mobsters and kicked a few guys' heads in. (sighs) But enough mission talk already. 
Um, anything exciting happen at the hub? I shot a superior officer in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> I love the look on his face after she says that. And he's just like, what? Like, he's so horrified by the whole thing. <laughs> that one That's not what's up. supposed to happen when I go in the field. Exactly. Listen. Exactly. <laughs> No, I thought it was adorable. And then we end the episode with this moment where Coulson is trying to, you know, get recovery, get access to this file about his recovery. Um, and he can't do it. That's our coda that's giving us these these bigger stories. So we've got the bigger story about Coulson's history. We've got this, this story about Skye's parents. He gets her some information about her parents. And we know that that is is looking a lot darker uh, mm. than, than what it is that he tells her. And we've got the, the clairvoyant. So we do have some, some stories that are sort of like reaching over in the bigger vein. Um, but I'm not sure that they're really, I think Coulson's like what happened to Coulson is a really interesting story question that even in the beginning, you know, I was interested in that story question. I don't think I cared about Sky's parents and I definitely didn't care about the clairvoyant at this point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's kind of interesting. I would shuffle those around a little bit yeah. Um, for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I am interested in the Coulson question yeah. because that ties into that bigger Marvel picture. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is admittedly the thing that would draw me into a show like this. Yeah. Uh, the clairvoyant starts to fill that um, – Starts to fill that space that Leviathan or Thrush yes. or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, any of the bad guy super spy organizations, the mm-hmm. Hydras, the whatnots, you know, that, yeah. that could fill that space. And then Sky's parents is like, cool. Right. <laughs> I don't. We've right. all got them. I yeah. mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, sky. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's sky. Um, so it's not, it's not that interesting, but we are moving those stories forward. There are bigger stories kind of going on, um, you know, over everything. Um, I actually really enjoyed, you know, all of these episodes, I think out of these three was my favorite. Um, yeah, but there was, there was good that. stuff in all of them. There was definitely good stuff in all of them. No, I agree. I mean, again, if you just handed me any individual piece Mm-hmm. I'd be all over it. Yeah. You know, this is my bag. You you heard me some episodes ago gush about SpyFi. So, yes. I mean, <laughs> but it, it is it is just, you know, that ongoing confusion about the big picture of what are we that. Yeah. Where if where if they had never led me to believe that there was more, I wouldn't have necessarily been looking for it. Right. You know? mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's complicated space. This genre being genre savvy, not actually as much fun as it sounds. Yeah, it sometimes does <laughs> sort of take away from from some things from being able to just kind of like sit back and, and relax and let a story do its thing. You know, because when you're so aware of everything, it changes the way you interact with storytelling. Mm-hmm. But it also can be really fun because when people do things really, really well, like the end medias res opening in the hub, yeah, you can yeah, appreciate you notice. it and you can yeah. know why it was good, you know? Yes. So, I mean, no, I agree. Yeah. I wouldn't trade it. I'm just looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming to understand more of how they lost me. You yeah. Know? No, I completely understand how they lost people, but it is definitely worth it. We just got to hang in there for a little while longer. But before we move on from that, I want to know, Joshua, what's your favorite part? I was about to say, we need high notes. Yes. And... I really am judging myself uh-huh. for my favorite part, <laughs> but I don't care. It's Gemma shooting Sitwell because hell with that guy for <laughs> real. I don't like him. He's terrible. Let's listen to him get shot now. That's a wall panel. 
Why are you accessing it? Don't spiral. Just say something. Anything. You certainly have a gorgeous head, don't you? I like men that are about my height, but heavier than me. Stop talking. Stop. Agent Simmons, do you have authorization to access that panel? Say yes. Say you do. Oh. Of course. Great, yeah. Of course. Um, I certainly have it right here in my bag. He's on to me. Stop talking to me. He can hear you. Are you on comms with someone? <gasps> this is Agent Sitwell. I need an escort. Sorry. Oh, my God. I mean, actual amazing stuff with heart is going on in some of these episodes, and I just want to see Sitwell get shot. I just want to watch him get shot over and over again. But I regret nothing. It is, I mean, I'll judge myself, but that's my favorite part. It's just in mid-sentence. Oh, God, yeah. She panics and just, boom, just shoots him right in the chest. And it's the night-night gun, so it's allowed to be funny, exactly. like Looney Tunes. Exactly, because it is the night-night gun. It is definitely allowed to be funny, but that is... That is a great moment, though. I'm not going to judge you for it. So, Lonnie, mm-hmm. tell me about your favorite part. Oh, God. When Fitz breaks in the lab for Simmons. No! I... You can't be in here! Too late. It's done. Just try and do your best to keep your hands off me, yeah? Fitz, I don't know what you think you're doing. But... I'm doing what we always do. We're going to fix this. Together. This is why I'm judging myself. Oh. Because that is great. There's real heart. It is. It's a great moment. I love this. We're going to fix this together. That's what we do. I love that whole thing. Fitz and Simmons are my ship. You know, like I love Fitz and Simmons. I think they're fantastic. So, yeah. They're your OTP. They are my OTP. I love Fitz and Simmons. All right. Okay. They're built very nicely. And the thing is, like, you know me, when I say a romance is well built, when you have people who work well together. And Fitz and Simmons, for nothing else, work well together. So I love that. I love that about them. All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is Listen Up A-Holes. This episode of Listen Up A-Holes was brought to you by chipperish producer Alyssa from Dallas. Alyssa supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to produce whatever show she wants. Thank you, Alyssa, and thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish or Pulp Diction Productions because you guys make Listen Up A-Holes a thing. Yes, to find out how you too can become a Listen Up A-Holes producer, visit the Patreon links in the show notes. Producer level support options are available at both Pulp Diction Productions and Chipperish Media. You can also show your support by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in the conversation. Links are in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We will be back next time with our discussion of Thor, the Dark World. Until then, we can't be a part of your bad girl shenanigans. <laughs>